Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to read the passage for us and then uh, talk through it. Um, So Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them in giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down the ashram and burn the carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples of the earth, of the, uh, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment that the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep them, keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you, keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples of the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you say in your heart these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to the people with whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who uh, who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst." a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them all at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under earth, under the heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
and you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for passages that are difficult. Um, We thank you that your word is true from start to finish, and we submit ourselves to it and pray you would encourage us this morning from this text. Lord, help us to know your character. Help us to know our nature and help us to receive your grace as I see the way you've dealt with Israel in the past. Lord, may your words be spoken out mine. Holy Spirit, we submit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so, Deuteronomy chapter 7, as you just heard, a little rough. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is the command within the law, the second law, Deuteronomy, to the people of Israel. Okay, now you've heard the law. This is the law, chapters 1 to 6, and kind of explaining the giving of the law. Um, now, you're about to go into the land, and remember, this is what I've told you I'm going to do in the land. I've set the land apart for you. I've given it to Abraham and his sons and their sons and their sons and their sons. I've given it to you. This is a promise I'm fulfilling. Um, And so as they're standing on the threshold of this land, God is reminding them, I'm the one that's fighting for you. I'm the one that's giving this over to you. It was never about you. It's about me. And and because I'm God, I can say that. And so he's reminding them of of the goodness of God and the goodness of following uh, the Lord. There's a few things that I see throughout this text. And and first, it's right in the center of it. In in verse 11, this again, and I know you guys are like, don't ever want to hear me say the word again, but there is a chiastic structure in this passage. There is, a, there is a pattern in this passage where an important point is put at the center, and around it are wrapped other details. And the center point, the center thing placed in this passage is verse 11. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. At the center of what, what God is trying to uh, emphasize to them as they hear these words, as Moses records these words, is you have to trust me. These laws are for your good. They might not feel right inside of you, but they are for your good. You should therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes. If they were easy to follow, he would not tell us, be careful. The fact is that, you know, these laws that the Lord gives of, of running from lust and running from money and running from power, running from these things that tempt us in the world are not easy. Our flesh cries out for them. And so God says, be careful to do the things that I tell you so that it won't harm you and that it won't harm others. Be careful to do this commandment right at the center of this passage. It really, the center of the whole you know, giving of Deuteronomy over and over and over again, you've heard him say, be careful, watch out, keep these things. Like he is emphatic with his advice to listen to what he has revealed to the people of Israel in terms of the law. And so here the context of him saying, hey, keep the law, is him telling them about the, the conquest of the land. He's saying, you're about to go into the land. Now at the center of it, 
before you go into the land, remember this that I've told you over and over and over again. Keep the commandments I've told you. Be who I have called you to be. Don't be like the nations that you're going in amongst. Be who I've called you to be. So there's a number of things that I think are called out throughout the passage and uh, about the Lord and, and really about us. Um, and these are the things, and I'll talk through them, but the Lord is faithful and the Lord is just. The Lord chose us. And the Lord fights our battles. The Lord is faithful. It just kind of wrapped around that center verse is a couple of passages. Um, uh, verses 7 uh, down to 10 and verses 12 to 16, and, and wrapped in those verses is this concept or idea of the people of Israel chosen to follow the Lord. And that, that, that God is um, choosing them not, not based on their strength, but actually based on their weakness. And so one of the key points that he shares in verse 9 is, first of all, this is about God. Verse 9, so easily we make everything about ourselves, religion including. But here he says, know therefore, verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. Think about where they're standing right now, okay? Uh, and, and the heritage that is before them. I mean, go back to Noah, right? Thousands of generations of promise that God has given to people who have called on his name, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Israel. God says, I am a faithful God, and the promises I give, I will fulfill. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful to a thousand generations. Second, wrapped around this center point is uh, the Lord is just. The Lord is just. When wrong is being done, He doesn't let wrong just stay. It would be an abomination to truth. It would be an abomination uh, to morality to just let wrong stay. And God is just. He's merciful, but he is just. And there comes a time when justice comes forth. And, and actually, in the, in the context of Israel, Israel in this time is being used as a judgment upon the nations that are in this land. They're being used as an instrument of judgment upon these nations, upon the seven nations that are listed here above. And so let's talk about that for a minute. The Lord is just. He brings his judgment on those who reject his commands or his, his covenant. Uh, verse 10, it says, he's a, he is faithful to a thousand generations. And verse 10, he repays to their face those who hate him 
by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And so the word hate there is kind of like, okay, what do we do with that? Um, But it's not really like those who hate God. It's actually those who know that God is a covenant maker and reject his covenant. So it's more than just like, I don't like those guys, or they're more powerful than me, or uh, they did this and now I hate them. It's more an awareness, an understanding that the God of Israel is a covenant-making God. They had an awareness that there was a covenant to reject, and they rejected the covenant. So it's not just about their sin. It is about their sin. I mean, that's part of it. But they also reject God's covenant completely. They've stood against it. They've stood against the face of the Lord. And so when we read this, we have to take into consideration both what's happening with their sin, but also the fact that they have rejected God when they had the opportunity to receive him. They were aware God is a covenant maker and rejects this covenant partner. And the Lord is just. The Lord chose Israel. Verses 7 and following, we see God speaking to Moses about how the people were chosen. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because, because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. He chose the people of Israel not based on strength, but based on their weakness, based on a promise given rather than how great they were. He reminds them that um, the Lord is the one who chose them. They didn't come to the edge of the land of promise on their strength. They didn't, and they're not going to go into the land of promise on their strength. It is only going to be on the Lord's strength that they go forward. Which goes to the final character piece that we see in the, in the whole of the passage. The Lord fights our battles. The Lord is faithful. He is just. He's the one who chose us, and he fights our battles. You see in this passage that um, God, as he is putting forth his judgment on the nations that are in the land, does so on his timing, not on ours. Verse 2 says, When the Lord, your God, gives them over to you. Not when you decide to take over, but when the Lord hands them over to you, this will be done. The people of Israel were not responsible for judgment upon these nations. They weren't the ones responsible for it. God is the one who's responsible for it. And he's using them as an instrument in that way. And it's not about their timing, it's about God's timing. And in fact, it's not going to be them fighting, it's going to be Lord fighting through them every single time. Just as they came out of Egypt is the way they're going to go into the land. 
led by pillar of cloud and fire, just as through the, through the Red Sea. They're going to soon see that God walks them around Jericho and walls fall down without their strength. This is the way they're going to go forward, not by their own strength, but by the hand of God. When they're outnumbered at times, we'll find out in Judges, that God will wean armies down to minimal number of troops so that they can see that this is the Lord's hand going forward, not man's hand going forward. There's no mistake about it. The Lord is faithful, the Lord is just. The Lord is the one who chose us, and the Lord is the one who fights our battles. We see this in the people of Israel, and we see how God is using them in this context as a, as a judgment upon the nations that are there. Um, we see that God is coming against both the sin of this people in the land, that they were uh, worshiping, you know, all, all sorts of um, uh, deities in an intimate way that, that is too detailed to really discuss right now. But also they had completely rejected God as a, as a covenant maker. And so God, after years and years of waiting and years and years of the opportunity being there for them to respond, brings his people into the land to give them one last chance, really. There are exceptions even as the people of the Lord go in. Rahab is saved Others are likely saved as well. Others likely recognize God as the covenant maker and say, yeah, I think I'm going to go with this one that's knocking over walls without any armaments. I think I'll go ahead and trust him. But the thing we need to pivot and understand is that just as we know, as we've been going through, you know, reading about Israel, Israel is a picture for us. It's a lesson to us. God is teaching us something about eternity in Israel, in both the land and the people and their enemies. He's teaching us something that is eternal in their story. And as we look back on Israel, you know, we can look back on Israel and the people of the Old Testament with a lot of judgment and say, wow, I, I mean, I wouldn't have handled it that way. I would have surely found a diplomatic solution to resolving the matter. Right? Like, we look on the Old Testament and say, wow, they, they just don't know what they're doing back then. But if we're honest, we fast forward to today, stuck with the same problems, both corporately, nationally, and personally. It's all still a mess. And so we have to wrestle with this and understand, first and foremost, how does this apply to me? How do I take this passage of Deuteronomy 7, of a battle going forward into a land, and apply it to my heart? Because really the heart of this passage was what I said at the beginning. Do the commandments the Lord has called you to do, and this will go well with you. Yeah, there's battle raging all around. Yeah, there's insecurity around. But at the center of it, trust me, I will fight for you. So 
So there's a lot of things we can learn from this passage and apply it to our lives as followers of Jesus today. The Lord chose you, right? How does that apply to us today? Well, he didn't choose you because you were strong. He didn't choose you based on the great attributes you're going to bring to his kingdom. He wasn't like, you know what, I need that guy in this kingdom because I'm lacking in the area of administrative support. Like, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the thought process for God. He got really great strengths in, uh, in organizing people. So why don't you add you to the team? God's not lacking. He, he's not adding you based on the strengths that you have to offer. He knows the strengths you have and builds you up in those and uses those for sure. But he chose you because he loves you. And yeah, while, while God uses our strengths, the fact is if we're honest and look back at our testimony of following Jesus, it's through our weaknesses that he does miracles. He's going to use us in our strength all the time. But when we really see God move in our lives, it's when we realize finally that I can't do this on my own. And there's no way I got this. It's emphatically true that I'm completely dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. It's not in my strength. It's in my weakness that God is exalted. That's why he chose Israel, the fewest of the nations. He said, I didn't choose you based on your number. I chose you because you were small. And I'm showing the world that even this small nation can be the glory of all the nations. God chose you not based on your strength, based on his love for you. And he shows himself powerful even in your weakness. God is faithful and just. He cares about what's wrong inside of you, okay? As a believer, you know, as long as you've been on this journey of faith, that sin is still a struggle. It's a struggle before you come to know the Lord. It's a struggle after you come to know the Lord. The difference is that now you've got an eternal hope that is paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. And so you stand in the grace of God humbly because of what God has done in the past and hoping for what God is going to do in the future. It's a sure hope because it's been confirmed by the blood of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. But he's just, and he's not going to leave you where you're at. With the same passion and and fury and, and desire not to harm you, but for your good, he's going to root out every broken corner of your life. God does this. When you come to know the Lord, you see some miracles happen. You're like, wow, I don't have the same desires I had before. Turns out I want something different now. This is crazy. But a lot of times other stuff is left. And God slowly over time breaks you and breaks you and breaks you. Yeah, there's more work to be done here, son. Philippians 1.6 says, God began a great work in you. It will continue it until completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That means you're not done until you die. That's the length of this work. 
And so just as God tells the Israelites, you're not going to take it all at once, because if you took it all at once, all the wild beasts would come in and would make all sorts of havoc. That's what he told the people of Israel. You're not going to destroy all of Israel and take it all at once. You can't fill it. The same is true in us. If God just removed all the stuff from you, it's just like Jesus said about the strong man. If you, if you took the strong man out of the house and don't replace it with something good, then you're stuck. Stuck in allegiance to other things. Other things are going to come in. And so the same way God slowly works on us, shows us more and more about the sin that is in our life and, and shows us more and more how deep it is. Yeah, you might have conquered some exterior sins, but maybe God shows you that, like, turns out your heart is just wrong. Like, even in your thought life, you're messing up, you know? And God's like, I'm still working on you, buddy. And the more and more we go on that faith journey of, like, seeing that repentance and belief is a constant cycle in my life, the more and more I see, I just need Jesus. I just need him. I can't go another day without him. He's just, he doesn't want you to stay right where you are. He's, he's willing to, as he said at the very, very end of this, he's willing to send the hornets into the land to the little corners and places to root out evil. Same is true in us. He's done a great battle, sure, taking conquest of, you know, your person. But now he's going to try and get into all the little crevices and try and make sure that the whole thing is submitted to him. Just like uh, Romans 12.1 says, offer your bodies, your whole bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. All that I am, Lord, use it for your glory. How does he do that? Well, he's got to kick some things out. Any of us that had kids know that, like, you learn how selfish you are when you have children. Like, it's crazy. You realize, man, I really desire to have time to myself. But it's hard to argue with, like, kids. What am I supposed to do? Right? Well, forget yourself because you got to love these kids. You're their only hope, they're the only provider. So yeah, let go of your selfish desire for time to self and raise these children. God shows you that all the time. I want some me time. Well, maybe 18 years from now. Maybe. So God has a work to do inside of us. He's just and he wants to move you along. The beauty of that is that like God is willing to work with us in time. Not only does he work with us the whole time, but he's willing to like take us a step at a time. Because taking too much at a time can be too much for us. He's willing to let us walk with that balance. We're like, all right, let me take care of this thing. Okay, got that done. Now what's next? Oh, wow, that was hard. Okay, now what's next? And as John always says, don't pray for patience because... For any, for any chances to practice, exactly, the Lord gives. So finally, the Lord fights your battles. Okay, a lot of times we, uh, we think that it's our job as Christians historically, unfortunately, we kind of look around at the world and our job and the world is to point out all the bad people in the world and all their bad things. 
that we are supposed to be the judgment on the world and tell everybody what's right and what's wrong, that we're supposed to be caught up with that idea. But what I get from this passage is that the timing of judgment, first of all, is the Lord's timing. Second of all, is the Lord's doing, not mine. What do you tell the Israelites to focus on? Not building armaments, not strategic, uh, figuring out their strategy to take over, but rather waiting for the Lord to move. The judgment upon the world is not my concern, honestly. I don't even have to think about it. The only thing I need to concentrate on is not judging the nations, rather following the Lord, myself. Makes it a whole lot simpler when I stop looking outside myself and judging outside myself and just start where I'm at. There's enough to work on here, okay, than out there. So the Lord fights our battles not by uh, helping us judge the world better, but rather by helping us know how to follow him. So my responsibility is not to judge the world, but rather judge myself. Where am I at with the Lord? Am I truly loving him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength? I mean, it's easy to sing. But like as Connor said, simple statement Really hard in practice. All my heart, all my strength, all my mind. You know, a lot of times I like to give my time, my mind, to some iPhone game, you know? Like, to some news article. Am I giving, like, how much am I giving to that as opposed to submitting to the Lord? There's a place for that, sure. But is it overtaking me? Or am I relying on the Lord? To balance, you've got to fight that battle. Your responsibility is to know what it is to follow the Lord. And what it is to follow the Lord, he's revealed in his word. So you're not responsible to judge nations. You're responsible to know what it is to follow the Lord yourself. And second, you're responsible to encourage, strengthen, exhort, uh, pray for, build up, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's as simple as that. If we just committed to uh, loving the Lord our God with everything we are, personally, and then just looking out among the church itself, not, not outside the church, in the church, just loving the church with all that we are, providing for each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, if we just focus on that, guess what? There's a lot more of value that the world wants and is seeking for every single day in that than you'll ever find anywhere else. No point going out there standing on some street corner judging people for where they're at. Why don't you worry about yourself? Worry about the church. Pray for it. Love it. Love the Lord with all you are. And the community that is built in that is something of value that the world does not know. It can't even be resisted. God says that the love we have for one another is what shows the world his love for us. It's not by evangelism strategy. It's not by, uh, you know, whatever, teaching what the sin is and what the sin isn't. It's about loving each other so much, just the same way Jesus did, 
that people will see, I will submit to that truth because I see it at work in this body of believers. You're not responsible for judging the nations. God is. He's responsible for the timing and the enactment of it. You're responsible for following the Lord yourself, trusting him in everything you are, and encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same. It's vital. God keeps saying it over and over again in Deuteronomy. Listen to my statutes and commands and do them. Listen to my statutes and commands and do them. Be careful that you do these commands that I tell you. Really, really important that I tell you that you should listen to what I'm saying to you about this law over and over again. It's nauseating, really, if you stop and like read Deuteronomy and like, wow, he really wants us to listen to this. Seems like he thinks it's important. It is important. The land of Israel is a picture of the presence of God. That's what, that's what God is giving his people, is his presence. And so the land, the temple, the whole, the whole structure of the tribes, the whole thing is to point to the presence of God. And so this side of the cross, what we understand is the presence of God has, is not in some land. But rather, it's been given to us by Jesus Christ. So you have the presence of God inside of you because of Christ. If you follow him and trust him and, and uh, give your life to him, his presence is in you. And so, yeah, eternity is in the balance with this. Be careful to do the law I command you. Follow the Lord and encourage your brothers and sisters to follow the Lord. And let everything else fall where it needs to fall. We're not any better than Israel as we look back at them, we've got to be very careful to like cast judgment on how they do things. So let us with humility receive uh, the word that the Lord has spoken to us this morning. Let us receive the fact that we are dependent upon a holy God who is perfect and satisfied in himself. Let us receive the fact that um, we're broken and that what we, what we deserve on a paper is judgment from God. But what he gave us instead was grace through Jesus Christ. Let us receive that God did not choose us based on how good we are or based on our strengths, but rather chose us because he loves us. And that his power is shown greatly through our weakness. And let us stop trying to fight our own battles and start trusting the God of the universe who fights on our behalf. Let's pray. We're so grateful for the passion you have for your people. That you love them so much that you sent your son to die for them.
Lord, we're thankful, though it's hard to read. We're thankful for the picture you give us in Israel of a weak and small people chosen to take a land that you've given them, not based on their strength, but based on your power. That the nations may rejoice, that people may have the opportunity to see this nation serves a God that is more powerful than it. It's not a God formed by their hands. This is unmistakably a God who has created all things. A God who will walk them through water. A God who will defeat Pharaoh's army, the greatest nation in the world at the time. A God who will provide for them manna from heaven, water from rocks. A God who will knock down walls just by them walking around with trumpets. Lord, help us trust the God of the universe who has stepped down to give us the love of Jesus on the cross. In his name we pray, amen.